You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. This morning we are in Psalm 146, so if you have Bibles you can make your way there. Uh, Page 525 if you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles uh, nearby. Uh, perhaps maybe like, like some of you, uh, I've been thinking a lot about Christians in Afghanistan this week, um, other religious minorities as well, but especially our brothers and sisters in Jesus, uh, many of whom in this very moment are fleeing their homes, uh, many of whom are in danger of persecution and perhaps even death uh, at the hands of the Taliban there in Afghanistan. And in trying to explain a little bit of that uh, with my daughters this week, uh, I realized how foreign a concept that is to almost every single one of us. Uh, That for some people, there comes a day where you have to hurriedly throw a few things you own into a suitcase and leave and never come back to the place that you're from. Even if you survive, you know, the, the danger, the imminent danger, that there's a real chance that you would not see some loved ones and friends and maybe even your native soil, ever, ever again. So much of our faith is untested, is it not? It's untested. As Christians, we we claim to trust God in all aspects of our lives. How much are we ever forced to prove that? We, We believe, we would all say, those of us who are Christians would say, Jesus alone is our hope. How often does our bluff get called? For some of us, it has been or it is being called in substantial ways in your life right now. Health being stripped away or money just gone or relationships with people you care about. I personally can't think of anyone I've known who's had all of it stripped away, who's had their hands pried off of every other source of help and hope. And I was thinking this week about what Satan said to God about Job at the beginning of the book of of Job. Satan said, does Job fear you? Does Job revere and trust you, God, for no reason? You've made him prosper. You've blessed him in every possible way. What if you stop? What if you stop? And that leads, of course, God uh, to allow Satan to test Job by taking almost everything away from him. Honest talk this morning. I do not want to be tested like that. I don't want to be tested like that. I don't want my bluff called. I don't know if I would come out the other side of that. I I want to come out the other side of that. I want to tell you this morning that my faith would endure that. I just don't know. And so I come to Psalm 146, and I read this line that we'll read together in just a moment. Put not your trust in princes. You know, there's no salvation anywhere else. They can't give you the kind of help you most need. They're a terrible, fleeting source of hope. And I read that at first pass, and I say, yes, amen. God is my help and my hope. And then it hits me, whether figurative or literal, I actually trust in a lot of princes. I trust in a lot of princes, princes that haven't died yet, that haven't been forcibly removed from my life. Now, you and I can't simulate life. We can't walk through things unless we actually walk through them. 
So in all likelihood, there are for all of us this morning many aspects of our faith and of our hope that remain untested. But in looking at this psalm this morning, let's ask God to, even in our moments together today, to make that much more of our faith genuine. As a pastor, just as a follower of Christ, what I want for you, what I want for myself, is that when those princes perish, when they let us down, when they disappoint us, when they fail us, I want you to remain standing and steadfast. I actually even would love to see us together be singing Psalm 146 style, to be able to say with the psalmist what he says here, blessed are we whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord our God. So let's dive in to Psalm 146. I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. Psalm 146, beginning in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we believe in you. Help our unbelief. In every aspect of our lives, we want to trust, we want to be able to praise alongside this psalmist. So however you are calling our bluff, or however you might one day, I ask now that this day, by your word and your spirit, you would help our unbelief. Make our trust and our praise that much more sincere, that much more rooted, even in our moments together this morning. We believe, help our unbelief. Amen. Amen. Psalm 146 uh, kicks off this final section of the book of Psalms. Uh, And these last five Psalms are really the third group of what's known as Hallel Psalms, or Psalms of Praise. Each of these last five, you'll notice in your Bible, begins and ends with the same refrain, praise the Lord. It's really encouraging that this is how the book of Psalms closes. Because now, by this point, it's not naive optimism. Think about all that has been said, all that has been sung about in this book. Even the sampling that we've been able to look at together this summer in our series. Lament, unresolved pain, Wrestling deeply when on the outside it looks like the wicked are flourishing and the righteous are floundering. After all of that, the psalmist and the people of God he invites to join him in this psalm can say, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. 
He can say, God is our help and hope. Now, why does he say that? What makes him so confident that God alone is the source of help and hope? It's not exhaustive, but Psalm 146 includes three really foundational, really important characteristics of God, which establish and bolster that kind of confidence. And we'll spend the rest of our time looking at those three things. God's endurance, God's justice, and God's mercy. So first, God's endurance. God's endurance. God alone is eternal. Princes, literal or figurative, are finite and fleeting. That's the contrast that the psalmist is setting up here between verses 3 and 4 and verse 10. Princes are human. They are sons of men. Like God says to Adam all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 after humanity's fall into sin, made from the dust to the dust to the earth, they return. And on that very day, their plans perish. But, verse 10, the Lord will reign forever. To all generations, as the psalmist says. The Lord is no human prince. He is an eternal king whose kingdom, whose reign is forever. So you can think of Psalm 146 as a sort of bookend with Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, we read that the nations rage, the peoples and the rulers and the kings of the earth plot. They have their own plans and a lot of those plans are against God. Well, how does God respond? He laughs. He holds the them them in derision. In other words, the the true king, regardless of what's playing out with the princes and kings of this world, the true king is always on his throne. And it's this endurance, it's this eternal reign that makes God our only real help and hope. Everything else will let you down. Have we not learned that already? The course of our lives, everything else will let you down. That's actually all it can do. Nothing else is established enough and endures long enough to hold up under the weight of your hope. Even if whatever we're putting our hope in, even if it has the best of intention, no other prince, no other source lasts long enough to actually make good on those intentions. So who or what might be the the princes that we're inclined to trust in our day? Well, some are political princes. We trust in politicians or political power. And and that's true for people both on the left and the right. This is not just like a small government, big government kind of disagreement. If our hope for our own lives or our hope for society around us rests on politicians or rests on a particular form of government, we're going to be sorely disappointed. A lot more than Steve was at Carrot Cake, as he shared a little while ago. Some are social princes, celebrities, talking heads, or maybe more broadly, the the prince, so to speak, of public opinion, social capital, making sure that you're affirmed and approved by society. We fear perhaps being viewed as backward or being viewed as bigots or ending up on the wrong side of history. And so we put our trust in princes like these. Others are economic princes. Rich people, successful people, the employer who signs our paycheck, uh, or maybe more broadly, we trust in money. 
the numbers in our bank account or the number in our retirement account if we're blessed enough to have such a thing. Thinking that we can endure anything else, everything else, so long as those things are, are where they need to be. Let me add uh, one more that might be particularly difficult for those of us who are Christians who have spent substantial time in the church. Pastoral princes. Pastoral princes. Uh, noteworthy or platform church leaders. People whose ministries we appreciate, whose voice we have given or continue to give a lot of weight to. Well, what happens when they fall? As so many tragically have and do. What happens if they change their mind? If they walk away from faith altogether? If they affirm something they should reject or reject something they should affirm? All of that to say there are so many places we can and do look for help and for hope. And we can find some help in these things. But none of them, I just would say to you this morning, none of them can hold your hope. None of them can handle your trust. If you put your trust in them, they will let you down. Put not your trust in princes whose plans perish. God alone endures. Second, second, God's justice. God's justice. Think about this. God's endurance by itself is actually terrifying. If we're going to trust God, if we're going to look to him as our help and our hope, we need to know more than the fact that he endures forever. We need to know something of his heart and of his plans. What is he going to do with his endurance? He reigns forever. Well, what will that forever reign entail? Otherwise, let's get some term limits on this guy. What's his actual reign going to look like? But the psalmist here praises God because his eternal reign is one of both what? Justice and mercy. So justice means that everything wrong will be made right. That God will put an end to everything that is evil, everything that is wicked. That he will, as we read in the book of Revelation, make all things new. That goodness with which God created the world, which has been so pervasively corrupted by sin, God will restore and reconcile. He will make it new again. That's the story of the world. And it's incredibly hopeful, is it not? It's incredibly compelling. I mean, who hears, who among us hears that everything wrong in the world will one day be made right and is not excited about that? The problem is we all have our own definitions of wrong and right. If you were to ask people, especially in our society at large, what's wrong with the world, you would get a really wide variety of responses. And every prince, so to speak, that we put our trust in, every prince is committed to some form of justice, of taking what it perceives to be wrong and trying to make that right. It's why you and I actually have to be really careful with the word justice in this particular cultural moment. It does not mean the same thing to everyone. It does not. God's justice, social justice, and, and there's certainly some overlap to things that each of those would call wrong and each of those would call right. And God's justice is social. It, it impacts society. It impacts relationships. It has social implications, many of them. But without a common reference point, without a, a shared understanding of what is truly good 
and what is truly wicked, what we consider, what you and I consider to be justice can so quickly become injustice just in another direction. So for example, verse 7, Psalm 146, God executes justice for the oppressed. Well, who are the oppressed? And who are the oppressors? There'll be a lot of different definitions to those, to those words in the moment in which we live. Or the contrast of verses 8 and 9. God loves the righteous, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Well, who are the righteous? And who are the wicked? God's definition, the biblical understanding of justice, is that underneath all of the human causes, underneath all of the other external causes, I should say, that sin is the cause of all that's gone wrong. And so God's justice, therefore, is putting sin to death. It is eradicating the sin that has so corrupted the goodness of God's world. Here's a harder question, though. Where does all that sin come from? Me and you, us. It comes from humanity, from our hearts. It's our wickedness that God is going to bring to ruin. And so again, just like God's justice, or just like God's endurance, God's justice by itself is terrifying. It's terrifying. It, it means that we are subject to his judgment. It means that we're subject to his wrath against sin. It's our wicked ways as human beings. It's our wicked ways that he must bring to an end. And I say that to you this morning to, to try to help you see this only God, only God is our help and our hope. If we care about other people, if we start to care about justice, we can so quickly begin, it's deceptive how fast this happens, we so quickly begin to trust ourselves, to see ourselves as the source of help and of hope. And we read the contrast between the righteous and the wicked, and of course, where do we place ourselves? Well, I'm, I'm righteous. I'm one of the righteous ones. The wicked people are always those people out there, over there. But no, that line actually cuts right down the middle of every human heart. We make terrible princes too. Can we, can we see that this morning? We make terrible princes too, perhaps even more so than the other princes we trust. It's not only politicians and celebrities and people with money. If we make ourselves that prince, in other words, if we trust ourselves most, we will make an utter wreck of things. You are not a just person. Can I say that to you this morning? You are not a just person. You might want to be. I hope you want to be. And you might embody that really beautifully in some aspects of your life. I hope you do. I hope you want to. I hope we're a church that embodies so much of that together. But we are not as just as we think we are. And you cannot carry the weight of your own hope let alone the hope of anyone else. There is no salvation in you. You and I cannot save anyone. I know you're just shocked, like no one's asked me to write a self-help book before. But I want you to see that this morning. If you hear nothing else from this part about God's justice, you are not as just as you think you are, and therefore you make a terrible prince too. I make a terrible prince too. If we trust ourselves most, we shipwreck things just as much, if not more. But before we leave in utter despair, let's look at the other thing that's all over Psalm 146, the mercy of God. 
Because when that is brought together with the justice of God and with the endurance of God, that is how we start to see God as truly our help and our hope. So God's mercy. Third, God is not only just, he's merciful. He does not repay us according to our wickedness. He does not deal with you and I how how we actually deserve to be dealt with. That's what mercy is. Mercy is going beyond what is just, beyond what we deserve in order to give us what we need. To not only do what is objectively good, but to actually be our good. If God is going to be our help and our hope, we absolutely need his justice. We need the wrong things to be made right, but we need his mercy even more. We need God to have a heart that goes beyond simply righting the wrong. We need God to actually come to our aid, to come and help us. And that's what we see all throughout the closing verses of Psalm 146. The Lord is a God who comes to the aid, who comes to help people in need, who is compassionate, who is full of what? Mercy. Mercy. Who does God help? Look at those last three or four verses. Hungry people, wrongly imprisoned people, people with incredible limitations and handicaps, the blind, people who are bowed down, that means weary in soul, sojourners, refugees or immigrants, people who have no home, widows and orphans. Now in this, we start to see something of what God considers to be wrongs in the world and therefore what he is committed to making right. What's been called by several different authors, the quartet of the vulnerable. These four different groups that we see throughout scripture and particularly the Old Testament, whom God is particularly concerned for and who over and again rises up to come to their aid. The poor, the sojourner, the widow, and the orphan. All of them are present and accounted for in Psalm 146. They're all here. But think about this. They're here, not in a psalm of lament, not in a psalm of sorrow, in a psalm of praise. Why? Because God actually does come to their aid. He is their help and hope. And God is not one who will stand off dispassionately and impersonally while sin wreaks havoc on this good world that he made. He will draw near to people who need him, who look to him, who trust him. He will be our help and our hope. And who else can do that? Who else can do that? No one. No one. That's why the psalmist rapid fire repeats the covenantal name of God, Yahweh or the Lord, six times in the last few verses. Who can help us? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. No one else. Princes can't do it. There's no hope or salvation in them. They can't give you the help that you most need. Now, we need a merciful and just king who endures forever. And like so many of the Psalms, this one anticipates that king who is Jesus Christ. God's justice and God's mercy meet perfectly at his cross. Perfect justice against sin that God will put an end to all that has gone wrong with the world and the sin that causes it. But in mercy, he will take that sin upon himself. He will absorb it. Jesus will absorb it so that it need not be poured out upon us. 
See, God's justice means that all the wrongs will be made right. But his mercy means that even wicked people, even people like you and me can be made righteous. As the Apostle Paul will go on to write in Romans, it's because of Jesus, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that God can be simultaneously just and the justifier. Just and the one who justifies, who declares righteous, those who put their faith in Jesus. So much of our faith remains untested. So much of our trust unproven. But what I invite you to see this morning, what the psalmist sees after dozens of songs of lament and pain and struggle, is that it is not even worth considering putting your trust in anyone or anything else. It's not even worth considering. So let me close this morning with three very brief, practical things. How can we, as we wait for our faith to be tested, as it remains unproven, how can we increasingly come to see God as our help and our hope? How can we grow in this? First, become appropriately disgusted with all the other princes in your life. Eugene Peterson once wrote, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. As long as we think the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice, or another scientific breakthrough might save the environment, or another pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of the life of faith. A person has to get fed up with the ways of the world before he, before she, acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Are you disgusted with the other princes in your life? For me, politics, I'm there. Thoroughly disgusted. I don't think I've got a shred of hope or trust left in that. But I like money. I like money. I went to the completely wrong field to like money, but I, went in, but I like it still. I like it. And the esteem of other people, being praised by people, I like that too. I'm not thoroughly disgusted with those princes yet. Prayer would be. Second thing, see in your circumstances the untested becoming tested. The, the hypothetical becoming real, your bluff even being called. When things play out in your life, it feels like it's prying your hands off of those princes. See the, te- the untested becoming tested. We have so much admiration for people of great faith, past or present. People who remain steadfast when all kinds of things are stripped away from, from their lives. Here's the thing. They are people just like you. They don't belong to some kind of special class, some kind of special category of, of saint. The same spirit of God that was at work in them is at work in you. And the way that anyone becomes a beacon of faith like that is by continuing to look to God when the princes in their life fall. So when your health is stripped away, or your income, or someone you love, see that as an invitation into more authentic faith. What the Apostle Peter will go on to write about in his letter, what he calls the tested genuineness of faith. That gold that your faith is being even more purified, even more refined, put into the fire so that what comes out of it is even more pure. And the third thing, trust in what you cannot see 
by participating in the aspects of God's kingdom you can see. And specifically as that relates to Psalm 146, spend time with the hungry, with prisoners, with people who are weary in soul, with sojourners, refugees, with widows, with orphans. There's a reason that God's heart is so inclined to people like this. It's because so much has already been stripped away from them. They have so little else to hang their life on. In some cases, they have nothing. And you and I, by stepping into God's heart for the oppressed and the suffering, we start to understand more of what it really means to look to God alone as our help and our hope. So learn to pursue God's justice alongside the people who are forced to cry out for it. Because maybe you never have had to cry out for it. Learn to see the mercy of God at work among those who are truly dependent upon it, who might not have a meal today or a place to sleep tonight unless the mercy of God shows up in their life. Learn to long for God's eternal, enduring reign from the people who really want it to come now, who have been so let down by everything else in this life that they cannot wait for the fullness of God's kingdom to come. See, we don't live that way. Often things have still worked out enough okay for us that we've got these, these things we hold on to in this life. It still feels like home. People in these categories don't feel that way often. Friends, Jesus Christ is the merciful and just king who endures. Who endures. So may he truly be your help and your hope. As other princes in your life perish, may you find more of Jesus. May you trust him more. May you say with the psalmist and actually mean it, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob and whose hope is in the Lord his God. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us strength to live out this message that we have heard today. We confess that we still trust in princes. You've been so kind and gracious to us. You have not forced our hand. You've not stripped everything else away. But whether you do that or not, I pray that today you would make our faith that much more genuine, that you would be alone would be our help and our hope. Thank you that we get to come to this table now where we see there is salvation nowhere else. Princes can't save us, only you can. You have offered us your salvation in the perfect justice and the perfect mercy of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he has offered up his body and shed his blood for our salvation. So may we come fickle and fleeting as we are. May we come this morning looking again to Jesus. Be our help and our hope, Lord Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.